Hello, and welcome to Follow the Woo podcast, where each week I, Fenelon Kush, will guide you on a journey into the land of the woo. We're going to investigate witchcraft, meditations, the paranormal and supernatural, alien and fey encounters, gurus, shamanism, and, 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 all the woo. So hold on to your butt. This just might be the weirdest part of your day. In this episode, I'll be chatting with Katherine Warner, a sexuality and relationship educator and public health expert who focuses on sexual violence prevention in higher education. She describes herself as a cynic when it comes to all things mystical. Yes, that's right. Sometimes we'll have cynics or non-believers or scullies, as we call them, on the show. Catherine and I dive into the curious world of soulmates. Are they real? If so, do we have more than one? Is there a divine or woo element to the soulmate connection? We also discuss Plato's infamous views on soulmates and the legendary land of Lumeria. We only discussed some of Edgar Cayce's and Shirley MacLaine's theories on Lumeria. For the record, there are loads and loads and loads of theories about this mysterious lost continent. And if you listened to episode four of Follow the Woo about Dr. George King, Wajid mentions Lemuria as well. So this idea has gotten around and is intrinsic to many spiritual origin stories. We should probably give Lumeria its own Follow the Woo episode someday. So keep that in mind. We're just pulling some, some pieces here and there to kind of put together a narrative. This conversation is just about getting you to think about what you believe and see if maybe by the end of this you feel the same way about soulmates. Stay tuned to find out where this weird conversation goes. What are we talking about today and why? Um, Today we're talking about soulmates as a category of woo and what degree there is like a mysticism or something kind of unexplainable about soulmates or soul connections. Mm -hmm. I'm under the general impression based off of our previous conversations that you're more of the scully in the Mulder and Scully equation. I think in a lot of ways, especially people that tend to believe things really quickly or assign a meaning to something really fast, I'm definitely going to be the the scully. And if there's a weird noise and somebody's like, oh, there's a ghost, I will be looking for all the reasons it's not a ghost. And then if we can't find any, I still will be like, well, I I don't really think that, you know, I won't, I won't be quick to to believe something that I can't see with my own eyes. What is it about this topic? I think that really it's just that it's something that I haven't really been able to explain. And I feel like this idea of soulmates can mean different things. But for me, it's this idea that you connect with somebody in a way that feels like you met them before or you have some destiny with them or something that kind of feels bigger than you. And I feel like I felt that multiple times throughout my life. There is something that feels a little magical about it. I haven't really put two and two together of this, but back to like the ghost thing, I haven't figured out an explanation for why we have these connections with people. So it continues to to interest me, I guess. 
were those the most magical times being with someone who you thought might be your soulmate? Or do you think you've ever been with a soulmate, actually? Oh, these are these are the hard questions. <laughs> <laughs> they okay, are so hard. Do you, is it the most magical thing I've ever experienced? It's definitely up there. I wouldn't say like I could categorize it as most. Because there have been some moments in my life that feel extraordinary for whatever reasons, but it's definitely top. And it's something that I don't really understand. And then the question of like, have I known a soulmate? I think that if I knew for sure the answer to the question that I was hoping to figure out here of like, do soulmates exist, then maybe I would know. But because I don't, I'm not sure But I think I can say stories we have or the words we have that describe what a soulmate could be in human form, I do feel like I've experienced. Whatever that was, I feel Mm -hmm. a little uncertain about, but I do feel like I've experienced that feeling of like a holy connection. Wikipedia's definition of a soulmate is a person with whom one has a feeling of deep or natural affinity. This may involve similarity, love, romance, platonic relationships, comfort, intimacy, sexuality, sexual activity, spirituality, compatibility, and trust. In current usage, quote-unquote soulmate usually refers to a romantic or platonic partner with the implication of an exclusive lifelong bond. The New Oxford American Dictionary says a soulmate is just a person ideally suited to another as a close friend or romantic partner. Very broad, not really answering any of our questions. Yeah, and the ideally suited, what does that mean? Because I could say my coworker is ideally suited to work with me because she has this quality I don't and we work really well together. But are we soulmates? Exactly. I actually think both of those definitions are pretty weak. I mean, but that makes sense. Like, what if you went to Wikipedia and it told you what a soulmate was? (laughs) (laughs) It was just like it opened and the soul came out of the screen and you were like, oh, fuck, thank God I Googled soulmate. (laughs) The Oracle of Wikipedia. (laughs) I think to me, the soulmate is a soul connection. So I think can be this idea of the one for sure. But it also can be maybe like you have various soulmates. I think I'm kind of going a little more broad. And this is why it's hard to pin down. For me, it's about connection or feeling. When you said before that you had some of those magical feelings with a partner or with a friend even, what did that feel like to you? What were some of those feelings? To me, what defines it is you're finishing each other's sentences, you feel like you see something in that person that you have in you that you haven't really been able to articulate. And it's kind of like a bond that doesn't come from, oh, you were my mate in school and we went through the same thing. So it makes sense that we're going to laugh about like Mrs. Kravitz's hair or something. Like it's, it's like, it's something unexplainable, that kind of connection. Is there something metaphysical? Is there something deeper? Is there something spiritual about the connections we have with people, especially those instantaneous connections? That's the question that I'm trying to answer. And I I think that that could include love and romance. It could also include other types of relationships. But it's really when you have that feeling that has been written about so many different ways. Yeah. Is there a difference between falling in love, being in love, 
and a soulmate. And that kind of gets at like that question of, of what is, what is love? <laughs> What's love got to do with it? Exactly. Got to do with it. I don't think we're allowed to sing songs on podcasts. So. Oh, is that illegal? <laughs> Let's talk about our society and how that influences this idea of a soulmate. Because I know something that we talked about in our preliminary call was Hollywood's influence, just this Western ideology of needing to find Prince Charming. What do you think about that? And how do you think that's affected you? So the Western ideal of love, or all the the love we see on TV and Hollywood and all that stuff, I feel like that confuses the issue for me. So some of the feelings we're talking about, like when I feel or when I felt a strong connection, and I'm like, oh, this person could be my soulmate. Is that just because we've had all these stories and images of like you're supposed to find that person and that you're searching for your person that's so ingrained are we just living that out that's the big question I have that's a good point because it's like which came first Hollywood's ideology about soulmates is generally really binary and monogamous first of all you you don't see yourself especially queer women we don't see ourselves in soulmate scenarios ever, really, almost. Um, And then the idea that a man is what you need to have. And that's changing a little bit. But when we were growing up, oh my God, we all we had was the 90s rom-com. They did not pass the Bechtel test. If you find the man, you will be complete. And every Disney movie we watched was like that too. It's unsettling. Yeah. As a woman or as someone that was socialized as a woman, we're really taught that to complete ourselves and to be a whole person, you must find a husband, make a family. So we're taught to search for that in a way that I don't think men are. You know, sometimes I judge myself and I'm like, am I so obsessed with this idea of love and finding someone and completing whatever because I'm a woman and because we're raised with this inside of us to complete ourselves through through love. Essentially, that's an ancient patriarchal uh, nugget of brainwashing that we've just been so accustomed to that it's really hard to strip it away because we're just like, oh, yes, of course I need a man. It's still in me. Like, I still feel that sometimes. And, and I've talked to other people about this before, too. Like, you're going to a party, you're a queer woman, but you, you know, you're going to be around a bunch of guys and you still dress up and want to look nice because of that male gaze that's been ingrained in you, that wanting to appeal to that demographic. Yeah, I think that that is a big part of this conversation. And it's also the question of, yeah, like, where does that come from? I mean, we can't live outside of society. We are what we are. But at the same time, if we could get rid of all that indoctrinization around like marriage and the one and falling in love, would we feel these connections? Or what Mm -hmm. would they what would they feel like maybe is, is, is another question. What would they feel like if we didn't have this? Would we even be looking for it? Would we just be more fluid and more polyamorous? You know, because the binary is so strong and ingrained in us, this like blue and pink, this strict, strict division. And then God for Generation Z, who's kind of like busting that shit up. But it's going to take a while. I do feel like as someone who knew that they were at a kind of younger age that that has affected like how I feel and the connections I've made. And I do feel like my hesitance to be like, okay, soulmate is not, for me, it's not this singular person. I actually feel like that's kind of connected to the way I was socialized as a queer person where my first 
big relationship feelings were with friends or people that I didn't think I was going to marry. It's kind of all related. It brings it back to that broader definition of a soulmate, which is it's not just intimate. It, for queer people, your friends become this extended family that can very much feel like soulmates and or whatever you want to call them. You know, they're your soul family in a way. You said that I wonder what men think about this. And and I am curious. I did find some data about Canada and U.S. And so I'll read that real quick. Okay, so this was published in 2020. But basically it says that about 6,000 people were a part of the survey. And they found that over half, 56% of U.S. adults say that they believe in the idea of soulmates. And about one quarter, 25%, do not believe in soulmates while about one in five, which is 19%, are unsure. The southern states are more likely to believe in soulmates. It says about three in 10, 18 to 24-year-olds believe in soulmates. So that's our Gen Z, which is not surprising based off of what we were just talking about, the Hollywood tropes about monogamy and needing a man and blah, 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 blah. I mean, and the binary. So they're saying like a lower number of them believe in soulmates. Does is the question do you believe in soulmates or do you believe in a soulmate? This is a soulmate. Yeah. Cuz I think that's kind of what I was like what I was saying about how being queer shaped my worldview and I feel like at least in the queer community I sort of became part of as a a young adult. I feel like it is pretty old fashioned to think that there's one person for Mm -hmm. you. I don't really know anybody that even believes that, although I'm sure they exist. And I feel like it makes sense that the Southern states do because that's sort of like that idea of marriage and lifelong marriage. And God Mm -hmm. has like decreed that this person is like to be by your side until death do you part, blah, blah, blah. I mean, the the first phrase on this article is America is full of romantics. And one of the interesting things is when they broke the questions down, one of them was like, are you with your soulmate now? And it's a pretty high percentage. It's like 40% of that category. My first inclination is that these people are lying. The reason that I think that is like, oh, well, if they just think that they have to have found their soulmate and that's something that they need to believe, whether or not it's true or not, may not even matter at all. But yeah. it kind of feels like maybe they're just like, oh, yeah, they're my soulmate. So they're lying to themselves, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Exactly. Not knowing. Yeah. It, who yeah, knows well, if that's true? Well, I think marriage and, you know, I'm not married, so I, but from everything that I've heard about marriage is that it's hard work. So it makes sense that you're putting all this work into something and you want to believe that there's like a high, a bigger reason for it. That makes a lot of sense to me. When you said lying, I thought, I imagine that their spouse was like standing over them, watching them fill it out. <laughs> and they were like, I swear, I swear. <laughs> yes, you're my soulmate, honey. <laughs> Cis white men, if you are listening, I'd love to know what you think about soulmates because I feel like they might give less shits about this concept but the data says otherwise from this well survey. if i had to make a hypothesis is that i don't think men would believe in soulmates less but i wonder if they would obsess about them less because i think women sort of in that gender binary way of thinking you know women are taught to be consumed by finding like being fulfilled by finding someone else 
But men are taught that, you know, other things fulfill them, but that there is like there another half that they're going to find that will um, do most of the household labor for them, regardless of whether they have a job <laughs> or not. <laughs> yes. I think it's important to say that, like, we are talking about men and women, um, but it's not to erase that there's a lot of people who don't identify as male or female. And there are a lot of differences between men in the general category and women in the general category and people who identify as non-binary or anything else. There's a lot of difference, but I do think it's worth saying that the way we're gendered growing up, which is usually only male or female, does change the way that we um, are given information and that we're treated, especially around love and relationships. So I think it, it, it does make sense to ask those questions. This is a weird question, and I don't know if it fits here or not. But do you think capitalism has caused specifically the Western world to shut down more of their spiritual, quote unquote, woo woo nature? Not necessarily organized religion, because we all know that's alive and well. We're constantly working. We don't really have time to take care of ourselves. We don't really have time to connect with each other the way that and ourselves that we should. Do you think that that has shut down some of our woo-woo nature and that makes it harder for us to experience these magical connections? As a disclaimer, I'm not I'm agnostic atheist leaning, so it's hard for me to say like that there is this innate nature we have that that's definitely spiritual cuz maybe there's not. Like I you know, I don't know. Yeah. Um, but I will say there are aspects of things that I really find meaningful and believe in in a spiritual way that capitalism definitely doesn't support. Like connect, you know, we're so individualistic. So the idea of even communing with each other is not prioritized. What's prioritized is how you look. And even like yoga is such a good example of that. Like we've totally, Western culture has totally appropriated yoga and taken for the most part, the like least spiritual parts of it, like not everybody. <laughs> I mean, not that's our a beloved whole, Adrian. That's a whole like the appropriation of yoga is a whole nother podcast. But yeah, I I do feel like capitalism. Well, capitalism is just harmful in so many ways. We talked a little bit about Hollywood's influence on what it means to have a soulmate, what it means to look for a soulmate or feel like you need one. What about other societies and ancient cultures? Well, so I did some research into Plato's origin of love. And I, I can't say that I did a great job, but I did read a little bit about what Plato was talking about. That song from Hedwig and the Angry Inch, which is the only way I know anything about <laughs> this idea. And I feel like a lot of people yeah. in our like <laughs> world know anything do you say Hedvig or Hedwig? I thought it was Hedvig. Hedvig? I don't know. I think I'm being pretentious. <laughs> I love Hedvig. it. Uh, Hedvig and the Angry Inch um, is uh, is a, was a Broadway show first, correct? And then afterward, it was a film. No, right? it was a it was a film first, actually. Really? In the, in the 90s, and then it got converted into it was a play, but not on Broadway. And then it was a film, and then it was a Broadway show very recently, and it's it's very amazing. I didn't see it on Broadway, but I always loved the movie. And one of the best 
songs from the movie that's also in the Broadway show is called The Origin of Love. And it tells Plato's origin of love. Will you which, sing it? <laughs> I will not. I will not. Sing <laughs> I will it. not. I will not. The story of the origin of love is as to, told through the song, and also I'll talk about how Plato used it is this idea that in ancient times, long, long ago, all humans had two sides to them. So humans were either men, women, or hermaphrodites. And the men had a front that was a man and a back that was a man. So they were connected together. And women had a front that was a woman and a back that was a woman and obviously connected. And hermaphrodites had a front that was a woman and a back that was a man. And basically, they were like wild children. They were running around being cuckoo and lighting fires and stuff. And it seemed like they were having a great time. But apparently, (laughs) Zeus got mad at them and sliced them down the middle. And they were really sad about it. And then some weird shit happened where they got sewn up and not their belly buttons. But basically, because that happened, we are constantly searching for that other half. So there was like someone on my back that I need to find. And that is what love is is that we're searching and I guess in that case I would have been a woman because I mostly date women and then I would that's like why I feel that kind of connection because I'm looking for my other half and what's interesting about that to me is that this was written in something called Plato's Symposium which is all about love and has a lot of interesting stories about love as told as speeches in Plato's Symposium and the origin of love was Aristophanes was was saying this. And it was written in 350 BCE. So it was like so long ago that we had, like it was still relevant, these concepts of there's this one other person that will complete me. That feeling was already there. Another interesting thing that I learned about was that it was actually viewed as a parody. It wasn't serious, that story. What was popular at the time was to have these like origin stories that were very dramatic. So I don't know. I, I What I found interesting about reading about it, and I, there were some other things that caught my eye in reading about Plato, but I think one, there's this idea of gay people or queer people or whatever words they used back then, or the words we use now, like we're represented in this idea. We have different opposite sides to us that we're looking for. And two, that that feeling still feels relevant. That I feeling of like, I'm lost without my other half. Um, and I think the way I understand it is a little more polyamorous or whatever than, than that, the marriage idea, but it's still all there. It survived thousands of years. Isn't that insane? It is crazy. And actually I was a philosophy minor and I had to read that, but I totally forgot it. And I, I remember the song. Have you heard about the lost civilization of Atlantis and, and then Lumeria? I, yeah, I've heard, but I don't think I could explain what they are. So what's just kind of clicking in my mind right now and it's so fascinating is the story of Lumeria is very similar. It's almost identical to the one that you just explained. Lumeria is the first place we ever lived. There's this idea that there was a void and the void wanted to perceive itself. And that shows up in many mysticisms of other religions. This idea that there was this, I call it like the primordial ooze stuff, the like pre-manifestation of form. And that pre-manifestation of form wanted to experience itself. And so there was the beginning of creation. And at first we were 
androgynous beings. But in this version, which differs from Plato's, we were actually all androgynous beings from the gate, both the male and female. But when we were created, each androgynous pair had a soulmate that was another androgynous pair. So it was like, okay, here's you. You have the yin and the yang equally in you. And here's your soulmate that has the yin and the yang equally in in them. And you guys get to kind of like gallivant through universe together. Strangely, again, not Zeus, but extraterrestrials come at some point and divide us. And they go through the process of dividing us to help us evolve. This is a really, really shorthand version of explaining this because essentially we have this like paradise place where we're all androgynous beings. We're just out there doing our thing. Everything's great. But we start to get help from extraterrestrials. And this is what why people say that Atlantis sunk because we kind of got obsessed with all the technology that the extraterrestrials were teaching us and we became obsessed with ourselves instead of the oneness of all of us. We always knew we were all connected. And then we we were like, no, my shit's cooler than your shit. Then at that point, this is the story, that Atlantis sunk. It was decided by higher vibrational beings that Atlantis should be sunk because the extraterrestrials needed to not help us with our evolution because it, it was just messing things up. And that's why they explained that we don't communicate with aliens on this planet, whether you believe in them or not, because we made a pact with them that after they did the split to help us, that they wouldn't mess in our affairs anymore. And so Atlantis sunk and we had to start over. And so when we started over, we started over primarily as separate individuals, male and female, yin and yang. We worked our way up and with the help of aliens at some point, it gets murky in there, but you get the idea. It's essentially the same almost. And it's, but in that story, you would technically have what you would have two soulmates and the person that you were connected to that's called your soul twin or your, or your twin flame. So that person literally eons ago was your actual same soul. And so the two of you are one, but technically the two of you have two soulmates because there's, they're, they're divided. Wait, who wrote this? Edgar Casey is one of the world's most famous mediums. There's loads and loads of books. There's like an Edgar Casey Institute, and he spoke about a lot of this. Also, Shirley MacLaine went on the ancient pilgrimage of the Camino through Spain and France. And many people have metaphysical experiences. One of her metaphysical experiences was some entity coming to her and explaining the story to her. And this story matches up to Edgar Casey's story and many other mystics over time, which is fascinating, but like kind of so out there that it's hard to wrap your head around, right? Yeah. It starts to remind me of like Scientology. (laughs) <laughs> oh my gosh i am watching the leah remini show right I know. now yeah that's really yeah good. I, i'm really into cults i mean that's not in a woo sense but i will also say like when i was saying that i there's some things that make me a believer i do sort of believe in aliens i will say that i'm really interested in aliens interested in space would like to date an astronaut etc <laughs> 
so random. No, but so what's interesting about this story when Shirley MacLaine retells it in her book, The Camino, which is it's an, a fascinating book, whether you believe in her story or not. The entity who's telling her also says, you know, the Bible did get some things right. You technically did come from the rib of Adam because when the extraterrestrials were dividing you, the ribs kind of like pulled apart from each other. It's uh, it's pretty out there. Yeah, but I do feel kind of back to that idea of a soulmate or a soul connection that what religions are sort of and spiritual beliefs or cult, one of their biggest goals is to answer questions that we cannot answer. So it makes complete sense to me that there's that unity with Christianity or with Lumeria or Plato and the Greek gods. Like there's all these explanations talking about something that feels like the same problem, which the problem is, we, why do we need each other? Why do we, why are we attracted to each other? Why do we feel these, these feelings towards each other? So it is interesting. It is interesting that there are multiple sources ac- around the world that say the same idea that we came from this sort of androgynous origin. Because even if you take away all the extraterrestrial, if it gets too down the rabbit hole, which I love, but even if you take that away, it is fascinating that all those different places were saying the same thing yeah. in some way. They were saying we were, we were whole and we were peaceful, and then we were not, somehow. And there's a lot of different explanations for why that happened. Yeah. I mean, I think the other biggest thing I want to note is that with Plato, like, we all have heard of this idea of platonic love, right? Like, we say, oh, we're just platonic, whatever. We know that comes from Plato, but I didn't really put two and two together that Plato's symposium, which has this origin of love, is also, they talk about this idea of, is love only between like is is it only sexual is it only passionate or is there something else and in Plato's symposium at Socrates who talks about love um, and eros being more than just romantic or sexual he describes eros am I saying that right eros eros I've heard it eros. both ways I don't eros, know. eros. eros. <laughs> eros, eros. Socrates says Eros is not a god, but a spirit that mediates between desire and an object of desire, and that love is the exchange of ideas and the reproduction of these through a creative pursuit or through sex. There's something to me that feels true about when you feel that connection. It's like people want to say, oh, you're just in lust with them. But sometimes it doesn't feel about sex. I felt this connection with somebody who you know, I'm not in a relationship with, or I, I never dated. Plato defined love as like more than a man and a woman or marriage or the love between Plato and Socrates is like student and teacher. It gets a little creepy. It and does. I mean, I mean, we might as well say that, but there's like Nambla, some really like pedophilic things come out of Plato and Socrates. So they're not all great ideas which I think no. is worth noting. It, it's easy to, to raise raise up Plato and Socrates and all that. There's always a dark side to all of this. There's a dark side to, to love in the first place. Shirley MacLaine's retelling of our origin story in the book, The Camino, she explained, the, the entity explains why transgendered people exist and why queer people exist and how it's been like that since post that first androgynate unit that we started as we've always had that even even when we did we were in androgynous units there was there was both going on it, we don't know how we were exploring each other sexually if even it was 
it probably wasn't even a thing, actually. But once we did, there is that fluidity there. And of course, in all of those ancient Greek philosophers, they were all like doing each other and they were all dudes. Well, yeah, I mean, the gender piece is is a whole, I mean, you do know that I was a gender women's studies major, so I could talk about that forever, like the gendered aspect of this and like where the ideas of man and women came, it's, that is it's very complicated and relevant. But yeah, I mean, the way we think about gender and sexuality right now is not the end all be all. We've had different ideas of what it means to be a man and a woman or, some, or something else before now. And I think we see it as this new idea that that there's people that exist in in between male and female, but it's not new. It's not new. No, it's it's in fact it might be like the most old, thing. right? Really, non-binary right. especially. Stonewall wasn't the beginning of gay people existing, or maybe the word gay started with Freud. Like, there's just so much. It's so complicated. Don't get me started. Don't yeah. get me started. Don't get her started. You can't talk to me about gender. It's too. <laughs> she gets going. It gets me going. Mindfulness, especially in education, is more important than ever in our overstimulating world. That's why Follow the Woo podcast proudly supports Wellness Works in Schools, a mindfulness education hub led by Win Kinder since 2001. The effects of mindfulness-based teaching and practices in the Wellness Works program fortify our natural human capacity for awareness and self-care. Being able to pay attention, self-regulate, and learn all can lead to success, no matter what our past experiences may be. Win offers curricula, video lessons, and training to improve emotional, cognitive, physical, and social behaviors for K-12 students. You don't have to be in the classroom to reap the benefits of these teachings. You can find her classroom books, piecework, mindful moods, and mindful choices, as well as calm and I am, I can, mindfulness and affirmations for kids, wherever you buy books. The Dalai Lama asserts that if every eight-year-old in the world is taught meditation, like mindfulness, we would eliminate violence from the world within one generation. Mindfulness fosters the health, empathy, and well-being that we all, especially our children, need to create a better world. I do want to say for the record, while we're here, I did contact Shirley MacLaine to see if she would talk about this specific passage in the book. I do not uh, anticipate her responding back to me. But I did, I did attempt to contact her. So it would be, cool. yeah, it would be, I mean, I would love to hear this experience. And she even has a preface at the beginning of this, this story that she's like, I know a lot of people are going to think I'm crazy, as, but this is really what happened to me. And I believe it to be true. I also did a divination session with some ancestors and I asked my mom, who I work with a lot with a pendulum and the tarot. And for the record, she said that soulmates and that story is essentially true. There are some pieces that we don't understand, but that it's true. And I said, is my soulmate incarnated in this lifetime? And she said, no. And that's very common to, to have that other person that you were supposed to pal around with 
at the beginning of time. Mine's not available this lifetime, but my soul twin is available. Dustin? Of course. Yeah, of that's course. what she said. Dustin's yeah, so 100% your soul twin. So I did that divination session and I also <laughs> spoke to a guru who I spent some time with in India in Rishikesh and he doesn't give very long answers and there's kind of a a disconnect in the communication, but he also said that this is true. And he said that he knows his soulmate and he did not elaborate, but he is one who spent a decade, I believe, with just a loincloth in a, in a cave in Rishikesh, in the mountains of Rishikesh. So I, I think he has, does have some insight. It, I found it funny that right away he was just like, of course there's a soulmate. You know, of course, we all have one. That was it. That was the end of the story from him. I said, is there a soul twin? What's the difference between the two? And I got no response. Do you think he thinks there's one? I, th- I think he thinks there's just one. Yeah. And maybe there is just one. I want I really want to pick his brain, but he talks like a poet. No, now I'm going now I'm going back. I'm having an existential crisis mid conversation because I felt very confident in the beginning of this conversation that I did not believe in the soulmate. Like one. And if I believed in anything, it was the potential of destined connection. But now I'm like, maybe there is one. I don't know. I don't know. Uh oh, she's losing it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's exactly what we wanted. We wanted to break it open and be like, what do we think about this? I did find some other information that might make you feel a little bit better. So there are three categories soulmates, based off of what we just said, that idea that there's this other pair of a being that is your ultimate bud and then your twin flame that's the second which is literally the a part of your soul a, the other half of your soul and then there's a karmic family or like a soul family and those can be people that you dated multiple times or you've been brother and sister multiple times whatever through reincarnation and those people can feel very much like what we might describe as a soulmate, but they're mm. not the ultimate soulmate. But I guess as the the cynical side of me is like, they're all kind of saying the same thing. Like that doesn't really answer my question, I guess. Cause <laughs> that, the, <laughs> it doesn't really help me know. Like if I were to say, I believe that, that there's one person I can think of someone who I would say is, I could see being that one person. Like soulmate, if we were to categorize, but then there's also the hope that I think underlies a lot of this is that maybe that person is still out there. Like maybe there is this one person, Yeah. but I don't believe that, but I do believe that. You know what I mean? Yes. I know what you mean. (laughs) Right. Some people, there are a couple of people that you know that I've dated. I'll probably never speak to. They come in, they teach you a lesson. It hurts like hell. And then they're out. What do you think about that? idea that somebody comes into your life just to rustle things up and then they're piecing out you know I don't really know I don't think so I don't think so. <laughs> you don't think what <laughs> I don't think that I, I feel like it's too specific the things that get too specific I be, I stop believing so for me and I do honor that other people feel that way and I feel like if that makes sense in your life that that is something but for me I don't feel like everyone has had this specific purpose in my life. That's not something that that gels with me. Mm -hmm. Although obviously there's lessons that have been learned and there's like those lessons that I feel like I keep learning. And so I, that does, it, it resonates partially, but it's too specific for me to completely 
buy into. I understand that. And I think, I think that's wise when things get too specific, it does get a little Scientology and you're like, okay, wait, when yeah, do I, I'm when like, do I is, 499.99 for this yeah. like weird is course? Is Elrond Hubbard going to like come into my room and yes. <laughs> do, I do like think an it's... EM on me or something? <laughs> yeah. I, I very much understand why cults exist and why they're, because they're also answering these questions. Because what I can say about all those categories is they all do expect explain something real that I think I could see but I just don't know like I don't know is it a yeah. karmic thing is it a yeah is it a twin flame it's possible all of it's possible, possible. yeah it feels like what you're saying is that it's all kind of convoluted and there's a lot of different ways but at the end of the day it does feel like a piece of it something that you can't quite put your finger on it it has some truth to it yeah is that true yeah I feel like there is a, a sense that sometimes these words are all getting at the same thing. Like whether you call it karmic or whether you call it twin flame or soulmate, I think that it's kind of getting at a certain feeling that we have where we feel connected to people in a way that doesn't, it, it's not A plus B equals C. It's not like, oh, of course I love this person. Oh, of course they're hot. Oh, of course we're both really interested in golf. Like wh whatever, it's not logical. It's something else. I do want to say I also contacted the priestesses in training in the Wiccan order that I'm in, and they also said they agree with the categories, soul families, twin flames, and soulmates. They just said, we believe in soul families, twin flames, and soulmates, and all of them, you know, work together. And one of the things the witches said was not to worry too much about finding any of them. Doesn't matter. You already are with your soul family. You don't need to worry about it. You don't need to be like out searching for a soulmate because they're probably not incarnated. There's way too many souls. So there's not, an, it's like very rare that you even get to be with them. So just, Interesting. yeah. So if you find a nice feeling, go with it. And if it works long term, that's great, but it might not be your soulmate. I don't know if I believe in any of this. This is kind of the point, you know? Yeah, exactly. But I wanted you to know, I, I, I conjured the witches. <laughs> We need them. <laughs> we do. They're wonderful people. One thing I want to ask you before we move on to the scientific possibilities for this. Do you believe in reincarnation? Because that seems to be a running theme in all of these stories. I do not believe in reincarnation. No, I don't really believe in, in anything after death. That's why I kind of call myself an atheist because it's hard because I'm also an agnostic. So I'm not going to bet a lot of money on that. But, you know, there could be something. And I, there are things I do believe in, but I don't really believe in an afterlife in the way that heaven is described or hell or reincarnation. I don't really believe in something super clear. If there is an afterlife, I feel like we, it's beyond like a, our comprehension of anything that we could put on words. And I think this is me. I think this is it. This is it. When we die, we're done. We go back to the dust. You only live once. YOLO. Well, what do you think about ghosts and people having those encounters? Exactly. So it's not like I know that nothing happens and that there's no afterlife. That's why it's kind of I'm like an agnostic atheist. I don't believe in anything that's been presented to me as what happens. But I'm open to the possibility that there is something that I don't understand. So like yeah. when somebody talks about ghosts, I'm like, well, probably not, but like maybe. And, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but like maybe. Yeah, I, I don't know. Obviously, <laughs> it'd be funny if I did. <laughs> That'd be awesome. You and Wikipedia. <laughs> I don't know, but it doesn't really resonate. Reincarnation never resonated with me 
again, because I felt like the idea I have of reincarnation as like I die and then I'm this other person or this thing, it feels too specific for me. I could more buy into this idea that like my energy and soul get redistributed, kind of like recycling. Whereas like your pants are made of plastic, like maybe this rock is going to have some essence of me that's also in this rainbow, that's also in this person. That kind of stuff I feel like I could more more feel. But no, I don't. It's too specific. The reason I ask this is because you said there might be a hint of truth to it for you that there's a soulmate or a soul twin or something like that. And it almost seems impossible for that to be a reality unless there is some form of reincarnation, unless you just had that happen right before your birth. I feel like if you do have these predestined connections, is it because you've had lives past or is it because of something else? I I don't think for me, a connection that's predestined necessitates that we both lived before and had a connection. I think there could be other reasons. What those are, I don't know. Maybe it is something to do with vibration. It could even be like, or the future. Yeah, vibration or something that hasn't happened yet that needs to happen. Or a similarity. Like, you know what? It could be, maybe this is reincarnation, but that kind of, maybe like when we die, our energies, there's something in us that's not tangible that goes on to other things. Maybe that is into other people kind of thing maybe like we're kind of from the same energy field I don't know now I'm like answering questions I don't understand but you know what I mean yeah so you're saying okay the the sort of standard way of reincarnation you don't agree with because it's a little again you don't like it when it's too too detailed but you like this more of a vague idea that yeah maybe my energy does kind of get wafted around and mixed in and, and there is a sense of familiarity with other things and beings you know what I could believe that my soul connections maybe are his familial or historical or like my ancestors communed with your ancestors, you know, like something like that, that mm-hmm. was like kind of passed down in our genes in ways that we don't understand. They've been doing a lot of research on generational trauma and how we hold, we can hold the trauma of our parents in us in a cellular way. Yeah. So if we could hold trauma in a cellular way, what else could we hold that we were born with that isn't necessarily reincarnation in the way we think about it, but is kind of this like mystical thing that's passed down to us that maybe does help us connect or make us find other people that have a similar cellular energy or something. Yeah, or vibrational frequency, even if you're just thinking molecules and atoms. Now that we've talked about our society and how that's affected us, Hollywood, that world, and a little bit of some of the ancient civilizations narratives about soulmates. What about the science? Is there any scientific explanation for soulmates? The way you put it, I I feel like I'm not sure. But what I did look up and research is the scientific reasoning behind love, which I do feel like a lot of what we're getting at is this feeling of love. Like when you it's deeper than love, but love is, is definitely part of it. And I, I did find some research around what does the science say about love? And we always say love exists in our hearts, but when you read about it through like a scientific lens, it's all happening in our brains with our hormones and with brain chemistry, which is actually was very interesting for me to read about. I think we kind of know that that's sort of like layman's 
we know that there's a lot of serotonin and dopamine, um, but to see it all put out there was interesting, especially as I was reading this article that basically broke it down into like less attraction and attachment love is these three things so when we're feeling lustful like a sexual attraction it's testosterone and estrogen that are like fooling around when we feel attraction which is the second part it's dopamine norepinephrine and serotonin and what was interesting to me about that is that Dopamine also plays a role in addiction. So attraction is feeling like a crush. And I feel like in terms of soulmates, it might be that feeling of just like, I'm obsessed with this person. This person's super interesting to me in a way that other people are not interesting to me. But your dopamine's firing. And it it's actually that that object of your crush or interest does start to do similar things in your brain that like cocaine does, for example. Yeah. So it's like... Or sugar. There's... Yeah, or yeah. sugar or, or other things. You have these like, up, so you can get obsessed. And serotonin is something that, that plays a role in OCD. And that's kind of like the darker side of, of love or attraction can be like the obsession. So I like picture driving some by somebody's house and wanting to see like this is obsessive. I want them like that dark side that could lead to really awful things it like has these chemical underpinnings that is very interesting to me especially this attraction like dopamine serotonin piece because as someone that has people with mental illness in their families like strong OCD bipolar I do wonder am I kind of predisposed to having these strong feelings because when I told you oh I, I feel like I've had soulmates maybe I'm just like an addict that's looking for their cocaine fix mm-hmm. um Yeah, it sounds funny, but it's true. It could, I mean, it could be that some of us are just a little bit more wired to feeling that infatuation and that obsession in the beginning of a relationship. Yeah. And it's like, in some ways, like not that different than being addicted to to some kind of substance. And then the last thing was attachment. And that is the oxytocin and vasopressin, which are hormones that form like a mother bond with their child, or you can form you can have these feelings with pets or parents or friends or your loved ones. There's all these chemicals that are distinct and happen at these different times. And maybe some people that feel this feeling of soulmate, maybe there's just firing in a way that's like a little stronger than usual. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when I've felt these strong feelings, I've wondered, am I just insane? Like, am I just going crazy? Especially when I felt extremely strong feelings for somebody who where it becomes like that, like you can't eat, can't sleep kind of feeling where you're like, why is this person getting under my skin this way? Mm -hmm. Maybe I am just losing my mind. Or it could be that they're in your karmic family and they're there to teach you a very difficult lesson. (laughs) I mean, I am sort of drawn to the the scientific explanations and so I I do go back and forth like it you know and especially knowing all the, the stuff behind it like what's happening in my body or in my brain when I might be feeling these instant connections with people it makes me wonder you had mentioned the term limerence when we had our pre-talk what is that a lot of what we're talking about is like in other words infatuation limerence could be like the word infatuation is also limerence. Limerence is a state of mind which results from a romantic attraction to another person and typically includes obsessive thoughts and fantasies and a desire to form or maintain a relationship with the object of love. 
and have those feelings reciprocated. So like so a crush. It's a crush. A hardcore yeah. crush. It's a crush, but it's like that. Yeah, that's, yeah. I mean, I used to describe crushes as like stage one, stage two, stage three. Stage three crushes are intense. Yeah, it's, it, I, I described it as can't eat, can't sleep crush. And what's interesting about like limerence is that it's something that has been written about and talked about for thousands of years. And it's also something that not everybody feels, which makes it a little confusing. Curious. Like when I've described my crush stages, I've talked to people who are like, I never have felt that way. Like that yeah. obsessive. I have, I have had that exact same experience with other people in my life. And they're like, what is that? I don't even know what you're talking about. That that level of intensity is just not, it's just not there in their lives. And as I've gotten older, I don't have it as much. Do you still have it as much? Maybe not, but it's never been something that happens very often with me. Mm. But I will say it probably happens like once every couple years. Like I'll meet somebody that I have this really strong connection with. And I, I do feel like that's kind of sort of played out as I've gotten older, but, but I don't know. You fall in love a lot, I would say, like in a way that's kind of magical in the way that you've explained it. Uh, not like a thousand times, but at least like two or three times. That's a lot. Well, that kind of goes back to maybe I do have like soul blah, blah connection, or maybe I'm just like a, I have an overfiring brain, which you know, I, I also think I just do have. So I, I also <laughs> think I have that too. So you're in good company. So let's go back to the original question, dun, 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 which is, is there a divine or woo woo element to the soulmate idea connection? Do we have an answer? No. I mean, do you, do you have an answer? <laughs> Um, I have no answer. I have what I think I feel. What do you, what, what do you feel? Do you feel that talking about this and researching it a little bit more has made it more clear for you or less clear? I think that it's made it more clear how less clear it is. (laughs) Well said, well said. (laughs) Like, I think it's been helpful for me to, to sort of, you know, we haven't done no, I'm not a historian or any by any means. And so like, we didn't do an exhaustive list of things. But even reading the science, I feel like the scientists are even like, well, we don't know, but like, these things are happening in your brain. So I think it, it instilled in me that it is a mysterious question that we don't have the answer to. Agreed. For the listeners out there, would you have any advice to offer them if they're having a similar existential crisis in this department? I mean, I think that despite what is or is not out of your control or what is mystical or was not mystical, I do feel like we can ask the question of like, what does or what doesn't work for you or what does or doesn't make you happy or make you feel healthy. So I feel like we're really grappling with the question of why, like, why are these things happening? But I think if people are struggling with these questions, then maybe that's not the question you ask. The question you ask is like, how do I deal with this? You know, is that kind of, yeah. Like, am I happy? Yeah. Is this making me happy? Regardless of if someone's your soulmate or not, or if you're going to find true love or or not, and that's something you want. Some of these questions can bring about pain and and maybe it's not, that's not the point. Um, The point is, is to investigate and find things out for yourself and let go of the beliefs that that don't make you feel good about yourself. Yeah. Adrian, our lovely yoga with Adrian, she always says find what 
feels good. Yeah, so exactly. If this makes you want to tear your hair out, then, you know, and it makes you more confused, then go go back to where you were prior to listening to this podcast. <laughs> well, the why doesn't matter. I mean, the why is interesting. And I would, you know, but at the end of the day, the connections I've had matter more than why why they happened. Yeah. And that's also, I think, pretty wise. I think a lot of times when you have sessions with elders and, and spiritual guides and sages, they'll say, you're asking the wrong questions. You don't need to be focusing on why. You need to be focusing on how you're feeling in this moment. And are you, are you living a happy life? Do you feel joy? Are you feeling playful? So do you feel more confused than when we started this episode? Because I think I do. This is probably going to happen a lot on this show. If I come across an enlightened being who's traveled to other realms, who knows the truth about this topic, trust me, you will be the first people to find out. I have heard a number of different origin stories about us being androgynous beings. We didn't even get to touch on all of them. But what do you think about that? It's kind of hard to wrap your brain around, but it is an interesting concept nonetheless. I do especially love the reminder to not give too much attention to the why if it's stressing you out, because that's something that I deal with. I definitely can get caught up in why, 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 when it's like maybe in this moment you you don't need to know why. You just need to feel good or you just need to surrender. Or you just need to enjoy this present moment. Sometimes we do not get to know the why and that's okay. I'm still learning this with you. If you're somebody who's such an investigator at heart, believe me, I understand. This is our work. This is our practice. We have to learn to let go of the why sometimes. So I really appreciated that reminder. Oh, and I did hear back from Shirley McLean's representatives. She's busy working on a film and is not available to chat with me about her Camino experience and the aliens and entities, but they, her people, wished me much success uh, in this project of Follow the Woo, which was super nice. So we tried, maybe in the future. I'm still holding out hope that we can get an exclusive interview with Shirley McLean. If you have any specific questions about soulmates or you want to share your own soulmate experiences, please email me at followthewoo at gmail.com. I would seriously love to hear about them. If you'd like to connect with Katherine Warner about sexuality and relationship education or sexual violence prevention, please feel free to contact her at katherinewarner at gmail.com. And that will be in the show notes. Thank you for following the Woo with me today. If you love what you heard, please make sure to subscribe to Follow the Woo wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're feeling particularly stoked about this show, please leave a review and or rating. You can also support this podcast by becoming a member of The Order of Woo, where you'll get community access and loads of extra goodies exclusively on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash follow the woo. The Order of Woo patrons bolster this podcast and community and allow for the creation of more content, products, services, and events over time. Every little bit helps, and I'm so grateful for the patrons who have joined the order already. If you've experienced something magical, mystical, or just downright weird and want to discuss it, or if you're interested in sharing your expertise, or if you want me to research a woo topic with you or for you, please email me at followthewoo at gmail.com. Join me next week for another woo topic. And remember, tell the truth, be nice to each other, and if it feels right, 